0: The idea is if they're going to love all those static images, once it moves, they're probably going to be so thrilled because you're taking something that they've already loved and you're just making it come to life.
1: Welcome to the What the Heck Do You Do Career Podcast, an inspiring look into the everyday jobs of everyday people. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of What the Heck Do You Do? I'm your host, Carol Dweck from Careers by Carol. And today we have an amazing guest who has a really cool job. And not only does she have a really cool job currently, but she has an amazing career transition story that I think you're really gonna enjoy. Currently, she is a motion designer. She actually works as a freelancer. She does her own stuff. So if you're looking for a motion designer, hit her up. Her name is Shireen Strasberg. She's super cool. And I'm so excited for you guys to hear her story. So what's up, Shireen?
0: Hi, thanks for having me. So tell us, what the heck do you do? Right, so motion design is basically where you take graphic design and you make it move, you make it animate. And the way that I like to often explain motion design to people is that if you have something to sell or something to tell. So if you have something to sell, that might mean that you're a business and you're offering a new business product or a new, um, a new offering and you want to sell that product and you want to ex- explain that. A sp- Explainer video is often one type. And then another type is if you're a nonprofit and you maybe have data or a mission statement or a story and you want to show that and, and show and explain about how your nonprofit um, can, can help with something. Animated videos are really helpful for that. So if you have something to sell or something to tell. Love that.
1: Yeah, I definitely think of, um, for me as a teacher, I think of those videos where they're explaining really difficult concepts. And instead of just showing videos of people, they have those really cute animated clips where they show, you know, for example, how neurotransmitters work and they have to motion design the different parts of the brain. So for you, I guess it's more of in a marketing fashion, something to sell, something to tell. Exactly. Yes, that you got it. So what what is your work day to day as a motion designer?
0: Right, so, um and I mean, in addition to the motion design, I also do graphic design. So maybe it's working with a client and they say, "Okay, we want to update our logo or we're starting up our company. we want to create a logo. So I'll design that logo, and that logo could go on you know all your printed pieces, like your business card and your stationery, and then it could go also on your website. But then on your website or on your newsletter, it can be animated. So when someone opens up their email and they get that little animated moving logo, that's something that you know I would be doing. So um, on a day-to-day basis, it's maybe um, iterating on a project that I'm working for for a client. So doing a little bit of research and coming up with different concepts for a logo. And um, it's a little bit of like emailing obviously with a client and, you know, showing them, okay, this is the latest version, but it could also be even going further back. Okay. Here's like the research I'm going to do. I'm going to look at, for example, I was just doing a logo for an acupuncturist. So I was looking up, okay, how has acupuncture been designed as a logo for for other people? Um, Another one I did is for actually a recent candidate Who's running for city council in Queens in New York. So I was looking at all the campaign logos going back, you know, decades and seeing how, you know, red, white, and blue are used and how stripes and stars and how they're used in different artistic ways. So it's a little bit of research and history of of learning what's been done before and maybe how I can use that to, to learn about how to do it differently or how to improve on that.
1: Yeah, I think that that's great because when people think about logos, they probably think that somebody's just brainstorming in their own creative head, but... Research is a big part of it. You want to see how other people are doing it. And again, what you can do differently to break yourself out of that box or what elements you think you want to keep from that logo. I know a lot of times people talk about the Starbucks logo. And when you think about coffee, probably the first thing you think of is just like having a little mug with a little steam coming up like a cappuccino. And you think about the Starbucks logo, like what does it even have to do with coffee? And I know it has this whole like background meaning, but it's just not what you would think. And sometimes doing something that's different from what people might think actually ends up being the best thing to do. Right, right, exactly,
0: exactly, yes.
1: So other than actually working on the jobs, um, I'm sure there's a lot of client outreach because you're working for yourself. So tell us a little bit
0: about that. Right, so that is a huge part of it. I actually had a business coach once once tell me that really it should be like, 60% working um, on the business and 40% working in the business. And that, I mean, I thought that was crazy. It seems so amazing. But yeah, like in any given day, I have to be doing so much marketing for my own company. And so, I mean, that can be anything from like, okay, what are, you know, social media posts that I can be putting up on, you know, LinkedIn, Instagram, um, to be promoting myself, you know, to social media. You know, maybe making updates on my website, maybe creating a newsletter that I'm going to be sending out to everybody, past clients or potential clients. Um, it's also just straight up networking. Um, I belong to a. Uh, networking group called BNI, Business Networking International, where you meet once a week in person. And that's great because it gives me an opportunity to really, you know, meet people in person, you know, show them my work and, you know, build a a rapport. I'm also in a lot of uh, Facebook groups and Slack groups. And all these groups have like, you know, channels or hashtags on them so that, you know, if anyone's looking for a, a certain project, they're looking for an animator that's something I'm going to jump on. So it's a little bit about finding you know, where your people are at and also where the people that are going to hire you are at. So some of the groups on Facebook are like women entrepreneur type groups. So that's great because I'm a woman and, you know, a woman who's maybe starting her own, um, you know, I don't know, makeup company is going to want to hire, you know, female animators. So that's something, you know, kind of to look out for. Um, It's like, if you can find a group that's going to cater to that. Um, Some of the Slack channels I'm in are just for motion designers. And you think, well, why am I going to get work for motion designers? I'm not. But sometimes they're going to get too much work and they're going to look for people to refer you business. So referral partners is a really great way to get work. And it's, that's all part of networking. Mm-hmm.
1: These are great tips, not just for people in motion design, but any sort of freelance field where they're looking to network or looking to get referrals. So. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Like any, and I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not even tapping into all of them. I know there's, you know uh, you can use LinkedIn for that a lot as well. I haven't even started that. Um, But it's finding, okay, where are the, where, who are your potential referral partners and business partners and where are they, where are you going to connect with them? And it can be online. It can be in person. I mean, there's different ways to to try and, and and a lot of times it's gotta be a mix. Like Mm -hmm. you really don't want to limit yourself to just one source. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah. And, and realize that there's always going to be more opportunities and more ways to meet people. And also think that like, you never know who could become a referral partner. Um, in the sense that you think oh I'm in design why would I want to meet a lawyer but like you never know like maybe that lawyer is really into art and they meet tons of art lovers and creative and design people so it's like you never want to discount anybody who could be you know a, a potentially a, a great resource and For a sure. Partner.
1: Or they could just be really great friends so that's
0: true so. I think that's a
1: great <laughs> it's a great lesson so can you maybe walk us through one of the clients that you've worked with and from beginning to end, sort of how you conceptualize it, what sorts of things you thought of and what you brought to life.
0: Sure. Absolutely. Um, So I'd love to share with you about a project I did for a company called Mobilize America. So they were started uh, by two guys who uh, formerly worked in uh, the Obama White House. And basically they thought of this concept about how do you connect volunteers to unions, nonprofits, political campaigns, and create that connection. And they couldn't quite figure out how to kind of explain what they do. So, they went onto this Facebook group that I'm a member of called Dreamers and Doers, and um they were looking for somebody to create an animated video that explains their process and how they connect companies and or, or or well not so much companies but more nonprofits and uh campaigns to volunteers and so they put up a post i responded to it we had a phone call and pretty quickly they hired me and uh you know from sort of the time they put up the post to the time um i started working on the project was was only a matter of weeks and um and then we had about 6 weeks to put the whole thing together they came to me with a 2 minute script um, and they said it was cut down from five minutes and I encouraged them to cut it even more. By the time we got into the recording studio to do the voiceover artist, um, we had gotten it down to about 90, almost 90 seconds. Wow. Um, so people don't have a lot of patience to watch long videos these days. So 90 yeah, seconds agree. <laughs> is the, the max. Um, and because, um, they didn't really have a producer on their end. So in this case, I was, I kind of was wearing all the hats. I was producing it as well as doing all the design and creative work. And I was even like project managing and and making sure that I was meeting the deadlines and timelines that I had set. um, So that, I mean, this was their first time doing this. So it's like I was working with their marketing department, but they hadn't any experience with doing motion design. So I kind of gave them the timeline based on what their deadline was, what, okay, the first week, we need to focus on creating the style. So they gave me their graphic and brand design guidelines. And then I sort of took that and said, okay, how can we use that in a, a motion animated way that would be interesting and, and visually interesting? Um, and then, so that first week was a little bit of coming up with the, the graphics and then getting a storyboard. And that really should be like, a big first step, like that's really a chunk of time, because you're going to be basically doing a frame per phrase or sentence. Um, So think about, you know, the way Hollywood movies are made, it's the same idea, they're going to storyboard the entire movie. And so it's going to be like, you know, think of a eight and a half by 11 paper that's going to have, you know, 30 frames on it, and they're all going to be static images. And but each one of those frames can be fairly artistic it's almost like you want to make each frame as good as it can be if it didn't even move so that when you make it move it's going to be even more interesting so each one of those frames is like a piece of art then the next step while you're even kind of working on the um the the storyboard you're also going to be recording the voiceover artist um and also thinking, or, or at least casting a voiceover artist and coming up with uh, possible music uh, tracks to be used. Once the storyboard is approved, we're going to go into the animatic. And once the animatic starts, that's going to be taking all those individual frames and putting them on a timeline and playing it with the voiceover and um, the music. So this way the timing is set and you know, okay, we're okay with the way this story is moving along. It's fitting in the right time it's moving on. Great. Let's move to animation. Then we move into taking all those static style frames and making them move and animate. And we are literally making a film here. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. It's basically like, think of a, you know, a 90 minute film, but that is 90 seconds. So it's a, it's a much shorter sort of timeline and budget and, Um, and then, you know, there's, there's sort of final steps along the way of finalizing your music and, um, and doing a sound mix and finalizing animation. So how did you learn to do all these things? (laughs) Well, it was a lot of steps in the process. Um, so, can I give you a little bit of uh, my backstory here? So I would love to hear your backstory. Okay. Sure. So, um, so when I was 16 years old, I knew I wanted to be a film composer, and that was—I was so determined. I was a musician, but I really loved how music was used in film. So um, I ended up going to college and studying music, and I was sort of told that I really should get a sort of um, classical background in music in order to study uh, film music. So after four years of studying music, and I also, at the same time as my Bachelor of Music, I got a Bachelor of Science in audio engineering. Uh, Two Bachelors in four years. It was crazy. I don't recommend it but it was intense and I loved it. Um, Good for you. But um, so I was able to also not only write my own music, but record my own music too. And so that was really helpful. Um, But um, I then went and did a master's of music in film scoring. So I spent two years um, and during those two years, I was, it was very hardcore film scoring. I got eight student films during those two years, and they were all about 20 minutes long, and I was writing music and scoring them. From there, I went to Los Angeles, and for about 10 years, worked as a film composer, while as a backup career, I was also working full-time as a sound engineer.
1: Wow. Um, So you were making the music for films? Is that yes. what that means?
0: Yes. I mean, it was, it was tough. It was again, a lot of networking and meeting people. I started off doing short films, uh, doing some short animated projects, um, as of the film composer. Um, then I started getting a little bit into documentary work and this is like very early on in the, this I'm dating myself a little bit, but there was no like net Netflix, Netflix was a DVD company then. Uh, so independent film and like film festivals, like that was the way things were marketed. Um, and, and really, the film industry was kind of in the early years of, of, of independent film. Um, and But the problem with this career is it wasn't really giving me a work-life balance. And um, it was a lot of going out at night and networking with directors, going to film festivals, film screenings. And it was my husband who suggested, why don't you try graphic design? He looked at my film studio and was like, you can take your creativity and apply it to like software and, and, and computers. And that's like, a, that's a specific talent. And so I went back to UCLA. Um, and they had I'm going to a- pause you there for a second. Cause like, I need to hire your husband as part of my team, because that
1: is, that's exactly what we do here is, is, you know, you can think like you're great at music and then only see it as music, but to be able to take a step back and realize that there's so much creativity and even you were saying your ability to network that you used while you were in that industry and how you now use it, in what you're doing now. And the, you know, when you're meeting with a client, you're not just doing the graphics for them. You understand the, the animation and video world. You understand people's attention spans. You understand what is the content that needs to be put out there for the 90 seconds, not just, you know, two, three minutes. So all of those things you're able to utilize, not just for that music industry, but now also for graphic design and motion graphics, which is great.
0: Right? Exactly. Exactly. So I ended up just studying graphic design but then after I was doing that for a couple of years, I learned about motion design. And so it's really like my career came full circle in the sense that all of that experience that I had from the previous careers in terms of understanding you know, how sound mixing and editing work and how the pacing and timing and rhythm of film scoring work. And then when I learned graphic design, how the design aspect of it and both of those sort of funneled in great to a career in motion design.
1: I think that's also a really great lesson to our viewers, which is in the beginning of your career, you sort of have that ability to do anything. You don't really have to worry so much about that work-life balance. And a lot of people from the beginning are like, no, I want to choose right now something that will give me that work-life balance. But if you don't need that work-life balance right now, that doesn't mean you can't go into something and then use the skills that you learned there somewhere else. So, Figuring out what your values are at that moment is very important and not thinking about what values you want in the future because in the future, you'll worry about your future values.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, Sheryl Sandberg, uh, who's the COO of Facebook, I mean, she wrote a book called Lean In and it was about this idea that she was meeting so many women who were, you know, in their 20s, maybe 30s and they they weren't leaning into their careers. They were literally physically standing in the back of the room or the back of the, the you know the um, the conference room because they were afraid to get involved because they knew, well, eventually I want to get married, I want to have kids. And it's like, yes, like absolutely, you eventually do. But she was saying, and she has a whole TED talk about all, all of this. That's a really amazing, everyone should check out. Um, that eventually led to her book, Lean In. And it's this idea of like, okay, well, this woman I was talking to didn't want to. Like sit in the front of the boardroom, you know she wasn't even dating anyone. Like, you know, don't don't worry about that. And I mean, you know, again, this is obviously my perspective as a woman. I have three children now; um, They're ages uh, two, six, and eight. And um, you know, things didn't always kind of go the way I planned. I mean, this is getting a little more personal and not as much professional, but it's all part of it for for a working mom. Is that you know, I I wanted to get married and have kids and and all of that, but it took way more years to happen than my career did, but because I was so invested in my career it 's like that it's like that, it, like that, that didn 't matter i, I wasn 't holding my career back because it 's like whenever that happened, it happened, but I was really really important to me to to do what I love and to take my passion and, and, and move forward with it.
1: yeah, I really appreciate you sharing that. I think that a lot of people do struggle with that, but I love that idea of. You know, if some parts are feeling like they're not working out, at least you have control in in that way over your career and you're able to make sure that that's moving forward. But if you didn't lean in from a young age and you were just waiting around for all that other stuff to happen and then that didn't happen on top of it, I can't imagine how frustrating it would have been and how much harder it would have been. So do you need any specific requirements to do, um, like motion design or graphic
0: design in general, or is it something that you can pick up without it? So, I mean, you know... The tools are important. Um, you need to, you know, still have you know good creativity and design sense, but you know you do have to have some knowledge of the tools. And when I say the tools, I mean usually it's the software. So in this case, Adobe software. It, it is helpful to know. Um, so the Photoshop, Illustrator, InDesign, um, those are all the software for you know sort of you know designing. And then After Effects is the soft, the main software for doing two D animation. Um, these are all owned by Adobe and part of their Creative Cloud subscription. Um, and then it, it goes, can go so much further and so much deeper from there. Now 3D animation is a huge thing that I've studied a little bit. Um, and there's Cinema 4D is the main software. Uh, it's owned by a, a German company called Maxon, um, But then there's um, different ones, Houdini and Nuke and Octane and Redshift. I can go on and on and name so much more software. Um, but, um, and I mean, you know, it, it is helpful to, to go to school and, and learn these, a lot of these skills in terms of sort of the, the, the soft skills of understanding, you know, like the design and how to use typography and, and type, but then also the tools and how to actually use the software. Um, and I mean, it was, you you can go to like a four-year college and definitely do that, but there's also a lot of resources online. Um, if you don't mind me for a minute just touting the the animation school that I actually am a t- teacher's assistant at, um, it's called School of Motion, uh, literally schoolofmotion.com. And um, they're great. And part of the reason I assist and teach there is because um, I took classes there um, basically when I was... Doing graphic design and I wanted to get better at motion design, I started taking online classes there. And they can also get really focused in the sense that, okay, you learn animation, but then I can also learn character animation. I had to specifically focused on just animating characters. Um, so the subject can get very deep uh, if you want to go down that path.
1: <laughs> yeah. So definitely, I think this is one of the Um, career path that you do have to have those technical skills? Like you said, you obviously have to know how to use that software, but what are some of the soft skills or just like the personality traits that somebody should have if they're
0: thinking about getting into this field? Right. So I think the soft skills are definitely crucial and that comes, and I think that's almost with any job in the sense that you need to know how to stay on um, a, a timeline and deadlines and understand the importance of like, you know, being sort of disciplined and focused and like, especially because you're also dealing with something that's a little bit creativity based. Okay. If you're having a little bit of like a, you know, like writer's block, pivot, figure out a new way, like, you know, uh, or figure out how you're going to come up with a new design within the timeline that, that you have to me. So, so deadlines. So what are some of the ways that you overcome that writer's block? <laughs> so um, a couple things, sometimes it can be literally like just taking like, time to get away from the computer and using you know pen and pencil or a pen and paper and um, sketching out ideas that's one way Um, I think using social media not as a distraction but as inspiration so you know make sure that you you have either a work and personal account on Facebook or or Instagram so that when I go to Instagram I can go and look at you know all these incredible animators and designers that I follow and just go through my feed and look at work as, as an inspiration inspiration. Um, so I think that is is, is one thing that, that can help um, it can also be doing the opposite of what you're doing so if you're really frustrated you're designing you're not coming up with what you want to come up with like go for a run you know go take a yoga class uh, go for a bike ride like walk around your backyard like um, anything and then also one of the things I've heard a lot of people in the creative field um, encourage is if animators just look at animators work we're gonna put ourselves in a bottle if Sculptors just look at sculptors work, they're going to put themselves in a bubble. So sculptors should be going looking at animators work and animators should go be looking at sculptors work. So I try to go to, you know, museums or gardens or something that is, is beautiful and creative and has nothing to do with what I do. Um, because I think being inspired by, you know, the world outside of your world is, is very helpful.
1: Yeah. And I definitely think that that also extends to any career field, which is we can learn so much from how other people solve problems or look at things or are creative about things. And if we only stay within our own bubble, we're going to, like you said, we're going to just pigeonhole ourselves and we're not going to be able to branch out and do more amazing things. Exactly. Okay, so I love the first, the first soft skill, which is being disciplined. I think especially as a freelancer, you do because you're not in a nine-to-five. Nobody's setting these external deadlines on you, especially for people who are just leaving school for the first time. That's a really hard thing because we're used to having those deadlines. So discipline, I think, is a great one. What else should people be thinking um, about in terms of soft skills?
0: Right, so uh, uh, communication abilities. Uh, one of the biggest things I hear when people say they've been frustrated with their past animators is like they don't know how to communicate and communication is both um email like written communication and verbal like phone communication like being able to know how to call someone up and speak to them you know professionally and uh efficiently and not you know ramble on um and then in emails being able to be you know succinct and and Concise and clear and really be able to um discuss, okay, you know here was the feedback you gave me on this project. here's how I fixed it, you know da, 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 listen list all the things that maybe you tweaked um you know and and maybe reference the timeline where we're at in the project, and the most important thing, and this is something I believe for everything is be nice, like your email communication should be nice because think of it as like say. Sp- or write in your email the same way you would speak to someone to their face. Um, And so if even a a project or a client isn't quite working out the way you want, always come from a place of of, of being nice. Um, So that's something that is important. Yeah, that's good advice. So the truth is,
1: as you're speaking and you're talking about the communication and saying how you have to go back and forth with your your clients, something that I'm thinking of, and you don't have to be specific in terms of pricing, but how do you think about conceptualizing Billing your clients when you don't really know like how many times they're going to come back for edits, or do you put a specific price that includes a certain amount of edits? Like, how do you do that? And I think that that's something important for freelancers in general. They're always struggling with how do I figure out how to price my services.
0: Ah, that is very challenging. Um, So there's something in the industry called scope creep, um, which is where you know you say, okay, we're going to do a one minute video. It's going to be with you know these color styles, or you know with this script and then it, the the scope creeps and it's like, well we actually want to do a 90 second video and actually you know what we want to break it up into like three 45 second videos and oh you know what we want to get in this um other artist and we want to bring in a few more character designs right the scope can totally creep so mm-hmm. what you want to do is be able to put a contract in place um contracts are very important uh with for businesses especially independent businesses um so um so even though i my name is shereen strasberg my company so i basically set up my own llc is 87th street creative so um so i've set up 87th street creative with contracts in place so that um when i work with a client we get all the terms in there so what are the you know the pay terms is it net 30 is it half 50 percent payment up front and 50 percent on the back you know there's different ways to do it different clients are going to have different ways they want to do it um there's also you know one of the things that has come up is um the project files so normally when i deliver my final product to a client it's an mp4 it's literally just the video But I keep all the resource, all the source files, all the project files. And the reason I do that is because what they can do is they can take just all my work. And then if they want to make any edits or changes, they're going to go take it and maybe, you know, give it to somebody who's much less experienced and um, for a much lower rate. And so sometimes what I do is I add a fee on there to buy the project files from me. And so they're not just included in, in the initial setup of the project. Um as far as um other things for pricing. So I believe that um hourly is not the best way to go. Um uh, for one thing, I work really fast, so obviously hourly doesn't always benefit me. Um so I pr- try and do a per project fee. And basically I do it, you know, per like 10 seconds of video. So you know, it's like a 10 to 15 second video, or is you know, the next block would be a 30 second, a 45 or a 60 and price it based on that.
1: I could also imagine doing it hourly would be really tough because you're not always working in hourly chunks. Like you're not just sitting there for an hour and doing the work. Um, like you said before, sometimes you might have to stop and take a run in the middle. And are you going to charge the client for that run where you're thinking about their... Creative project. So
0: I, I like to think of my work as not being like hourly work. Um, it's definitely, you know, I, I will come up with an idea in the middle of the night and I, you know, I maybe want to go put that down and then, you know, work on it again in the morning. Or maybe I want to stop midday because I've been working straight through for five hours and I need to, you know, get myself away from it and step away from the project for a couple hours. Um, so yeah, hourly is a little bit tricky with the type of work I do for sure.
1: And I think something that people struggle with in general when they think about hourly work is, like you said, when you're getting faster, when you're getting better at things, you feel sort of guilty to charge people more. But you really do have more experience and you're better at your job. So it's like kind of this catch-22 when you think about it in that way.
0: Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I like to always get to the point where, like, okay, can we come up... With, with, you know, without doing, you know, dozens of edits and retakes, but, you know, really come up with uh, something that's going to work from the very beginning. And I think that's where it's worth it to really spend the time in the beginning, doing the research, um, doing sort of the understanding of what the client wants and is looking for and spending way more time on the storyboarding part rather than the final animation. Because the idea is if they're going to love all those static images once it moves, they're probably going to be you know, so thrilled because you're taking something that they've already loved and you're just making it you know, come to life. So,
1: Even just hearing this, it's making me happy. Like, I feel like you're making people's <laughs> dreams come true in that way. It's like bringing, bringing what, they, what they were thinking in their head and something that they probably never even could have thought in their head and just bringing it to life is probably so rewarding.
0: Right. I mean, that, that's how it felt with this um, Mobilize uh, project for, for Mobilize America. It's like they had this vision and then they, they had a really good design sense and the, and the graphics of how it was being used on their website but they just had trouble explaining it to potential clients. So suddenly taking, you know, all their designs and, and branding and then putting it into an explainer video and something that they could just send off rather than having to go into, you know, multiple emails and phone calls to explain it over and over again was, was such a great resource for them. Um, and, you know, they put it up on uh, social media channels and they put it up on their website um, they send it to clients. So, yeah, it's, it's been very effective for them.
1: Amazing. So I know you have tons of experience and it sounds like you're really amazing at what you do, but did you ever make a mistake?
0: <laughs> did I ever make a mistake? Um, I, I've, I've learned some lessons along the way. I'd like to think nothing, nothing has been a mistake, but more, um, more in terms of setting the right expectations um, I think is is, is more. Um, I guess you could say, so some mistakes are made along the way. Um, I think there have been times where, um, and this is a little bit earlier on in my career than now, but where clients did expect there to be just sort of an endless, infinite amount of edits and changes, and that it would just be be ongoing. And so, um, what I've learned is is one to put a a time frame that we would be working on this, you know, from this date to this date, which if I stay on my schedule, it should be fine. And I, and I think so the reason that prevents the client from doing two things. One is just falling off the face of the earth and just because they don't respond to your emails isn't, shouldn't become your problem. It should, they should still be paying you because you're, you did your rounds of of changes and edits. Um, And two is that they expect there to just be continuous amount of edits. So if you put a deadline and a timeline that, that helps prevent sort of ongoing mistakes from happening. Um, Yeah,
1: that's great advice. I think (laughs) I could see a lot of young designers really falling into that trap, especially because you want to deliver a good product? Because in the end of the day, it really is a referral-based business. So it becomes really easy to be sucked into just doing whatever the client wants, but having those boundaries seems like it's really, really important.
0: Yeah. There's actually something that people, I know, add to their contract called a kill fee. And the idea is if this project just needs to end because the client really isn't keeping up their end of the bargain, um, this project needs to be killed and there's a fee for doing that. Um, wow, kind of a scary sound it, it, sometimes it just has to happen yeah
1: um so what advice would you give to somebody who's thinking about going into motion design
0: wow okay so um a couple things it would help to try and explore the concept a little bit early by taking maybe a class online or a class at a social, as a take a class with shereen guys Go to School of Motion and sign up for After Effects Kickstarter. Um, (laughs) But um, sometimes it's like when you kind of don't know yet quite what you want to do, just explore it without making the commitment of like a four-year college or, you know, a one-year course. It's too much time and it's too much money. Um, When I was thinking about pivoting careers from music engineering to something else I actually didn't quite know like my husband had suggested graphic design but I didn't know so I actually looked into doing music therapy and while I was working full-time still as a sound engineering film composer I commute I was like an hour-long commute it was terrible but I commuted to an in-person class at a local college who was teaching an introduction to music therapy and um Most like 99% of the kids were college kids, but it was taught at night, which was great. So they could have some people who weren't in the college come in and take the class. And it was wonderful because I was able to explore it and sort of scratch that itch of like, okay, I think this is something I want to do. I know I have some of the skills, but I'm not quite sure. And what I discovered is music therapists are amazing people, but that's not for me. And it was not a career that I could choose and, and go down, but I totally felt confident that I had explored it and tried it and it wasn't for me. And okay, let's go on to the next thing. And there was not a lot of time wasted and not a lot of money wasted. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's something to really think about in terms of if you want to explore. Um, a and, and it's also in terms of like, if you're interested in motion design, you could take a class And just get like a short subscription to Adobe software and then take the time to later on, as you get more interested in it, take the time to do the classes and invest the money when you know, okay, this is what I want to do. You know, I didn't buy a new computer immediately when I started taking classes in Photoshop. I used my old gear from my music studio before I knew, okay, I want to do graphic design. Now I'm going to get the computer that's good for graphic design.
1: Mm -hmm. It's amazing advice, again, for any industry, because I think that I can see so many reasons why somebody would tell you you would be a great music therapist or why you would think that. I mean, even some of it overlaps with the design stuff, you know, the communication skills, the creativity, um, the people skills, but you clearly found a much more effective way to use your skills. And I love that idea of actually trying things out. I think that's so important because in theory, you can think that a job is so amazing for you, but actually going out and doing it is completely different.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's there, there. There are sort of so many paths you can take, um, but um, and and it's good to explore them. And I think you'll you'll feel so much better and more confident when you find the thing if you've tried all these other options.
1: Um, yeah. People are in such a rush, but it's better, like you said, in the beginning of you guys are planning and researching and doing all that work up front so that the work later becomes so much easier. And it's that same sort of thing, which is if you put in the work and you try a bunch of things in the beginning, even if it seems like you're wasting time, it'll just make that journey later so much easier.
0: Yep, for sure.
1: Absolutely. All right. Well, Shereen, thank you so much for coming on. I love your story. I love what you do. Um, Tell the people how they can find you.
0: Okay, so my company's website is 87streetcreative.com. So that's 87TH, street spelled out, creative.com. And I'm also on Instagram at 87streetcreative. And you can also find me on LinkedIn under Shireen Strasberg.
1: Perfect, and we'll put all this in the show notes. Maybe we'll put some links to some cool video graphics that Shireen has created so you guys can see because hearing it is one thing, but once you see it, it's really life-changing in that
0: way. Awesome. Absolutely. I would love for uh, everyone to check out my work. And um, if you have any further questions, feel free to contact me or reach out to me. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you guys
1: for joining this episode of What the Heck Do You Do? We really hope you enjoyed and that you will rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. But more importantly, if you have a job or career that people just don't understand, please email us at whattheheckdoyoudo at gmail.com with your job title and a quick description of what the heck you do until next time.